Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. All right. Hey, welcome today. Great to see everybody here this morning. How are you getting in the Christmas spirit? You ready for Christmas? It's coming. It's soon. I'm really excited about our Christmas service schedule, schedule coming up. We've got uh, Christmas Eve, 4.30 and 6 o'clock, or 10 o'clock Sunday morning, Christmas Day. So all those services will be identical. You can come on Christmas Eve night and bring your family out, or if you'd rather come Christmas Sunday morning, you can come out Sunday morning. We'll be having communion at each one of those services. Invite someone to come, bring them with you on those very special days. Uh, stand with me, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Somebody asked me the other day, what is all this? Well, if you've never seen The Tonight Show, you have no idea what, what's going on there. But uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon does his thank you notes every Friday night. And so a little takeoff on that. Uh, Matthew 1, verse number 18. Matthew 1 and verse number 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her will be from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until he gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your sweet presence here today that you have come and you sent your son for us and we thank you above all else that you're our savior today and you can save us from all of our sins. Lord, open up this story again afresh and anew today as we look at it. Anoint me as I preach your word. I need your help. and We'll give you all the praise and glory in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. How many like a good love story? Let me see your hand. Just let, oh, I saw some real sensitive men raise their hand. <laughs> got, got some men out there. You're, you're, you're admitting you're a Renaissance man, that you like a good love story as well. Uh, I know Jeannie does. She's all about love stories. And, uh, you know, at this time of the year, she's got every Christmas movie. She's seen them all, and she'll watch them again, which makes no sense to me at all. You know, exactly how the story's going to end, and she'll watch that Hallmark channel, and about the time the violins start playing, she starts crying. I don't know what's going on, I don't know what's happening, but she'll cry at just the music, the, the mood of the music swings, and she starts crying and gets all involved in that exciting love story. Uh, th- there's some great love stories in literature, 
and in history, and uh, some great couples. And so let me just name a few of them for you. Romeo and Juliet, who can forget them? What a great, great couple. Anthony and Cleopatra, Napoleon and Josephine, Robin Hood and Maid Marian. You can't leave those guys out. Tarzan and Jane, right? Okay. What a great love story, swinging through the trees. Bonnie and Clyde, uh, they, they even got shot up together. There's just, there's, there's just some great, incredible love stories in literature and throughout history. But, you know, when you think about love stories, I wonder how many of us had Mary and Joseph on the list. Even though it's an incredible love story, and we've heard it so many times, I think because the focus of Christmas is on Jesus, and it ought to rightly be on him, the, the, the Son of God coming down, being born, and, and we focus on all that, and we may miss in the background the whole scene of this incredible love of Joseph and that he has for Mary, and the love that Mary has for Joseph, and all this is kind of maybe missed and overlooked in all the other Christmas uh, story that we read and see in all the different accounts. An incredible love story. A lo- love story that Joseph has for Mary, Mary has for Joseph, and an incredible love story that they have for God. Because had they not loved God and trusted in God and believed in him and loved him with all their heart, we would not have Christmas today. None of this would have happened. And so it's also a love story about God. And, and it culminates in the greatest love story ever told, bar none, and is found in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Incredible, incredible love story. And yet this love story was not without some trials and, and, and struggles along the way because Joseph has a real dilemma that he has got to face. And, and I kind of told the story last week from Mary's perspective, but let's kind of switch gears and look at this whole story from Joseph's vantage point. Uh, we're not told, it says in verse 18, it says, he found that Mary was pregnant. Now, we're not told how he found out Mary was pregnant, what happened that came about. I don't know if it, she waited till she was actually showing and he kind of figures it all out. Or I don't know if I, I would probably, if I'm suspecting how this may have played out, I'm sure Mary, when she got the word that she's going to have a child, she probably goes to Joseph and says, Joseph, I've got some wonderful news. I'm pregnant. Now, now, if you hear that and you're the fiancé and you weren't involved in it, that's not wonderful news, guys. And, and no matter how hard she tries to play this off, like, you know what, it's the angel appeared to me and, and I'm going to bear the Messiah and you know the one we've been waiting for for all these generations and all these years we've been waiting for the Messiah to come and that's me. I'm the one he chose. I am the handmaiden of the Lord. And so all this came across, and she may have tried to put this positive spin on it, but uh, Joseph could not have been happy. And probably all the same thoughts are running through his mind. How can this be? How could this possibly happen? How could she betray me like this? And who really is the father? And all those thoughts are going through his head. And what is he going to do now? He had some alternatives. He, he probably could have took her to the public square 
announced and, and removed himself, distanced himself from Mary and said, this is not my child, I did not mess around, this is not something that I did, and distanced himself from her, and, and they could have stoned. Historians tell us they probably weren't stoning uh, those who got pregnant out of wedlock too often at this time. They did it more uh, previous in the Old Testament. But he could at least had her public humiliated and put to shame and disgraced, and he could have distanced himself and pulled away from all of that and said this is not mine and I am not a part of this or he could divorce her quietly and start all over again on his life and and as you read the text and you read Matthew this is what he almost this is what he chosen to do I'm going to just put her away privately we'll have a private separation we'll, we'll, we'll keep it as quiet as we can we'll keep it under wraps and uh, I'll just go my own way and you go your way There's an old song. I won't give you all the words. They're they're pretty colorful, and most of you won't remember it, but uh, it's a Paul Simon song, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. And uh, there's all kinds of ways to bail out on your lover. The the, the problem is is, is, divorce is way, way too prevalent today. I think there are too many men and women that look for a way out. Instead of looking on how can I make this marriage work, how can I make it last, how can I hang in there, how can we resolve our differences, how can we get help that we need, how can we move forward together from here, and yet there are so many different ways that we break up and we leave and the least little thing can set us over the edge. And, and we can, we've got the same kind of choice that Joseph had. We can respond by throwing verbal stones. We may not throw rocks anymore today. You'd get put in jail for that. But what we do is we tack each other with our words. And we get angry and we get upset and things are falling apart and the marriage isn't what we hoped it would be. And so what we, we attack the other person verbally and we throw verbal stones, which can be every bit as painful. Or as some men will even physically abuse their wives. And that's horrendous. We can sulk and withdraw and say, you know what? you've wronged me in some way, you haven't been right, you haven't been what I expected, and so we we withdraw our affection, we withdraw our love and say, I'm out of here and I'm done, and we kind of check out emotionally, and you may even continue to occupy the same house, but one's in one bedroom and one's in the other, and the love is gone. That's a very sad, or, or you talk about divorce, you throw it up, it comes up in your conversation, listen to me, Real good right here. I just want to get very, very personal today. Don't ever use the D word in your marriage. Don't ever, ever, ever let it come up. Don't speak of it. Don't talk about it. Don't breathe life into that. Don't even go there because it is not an option for the child of God. You could, you could expose your spouse to public humiliation And so what happens is you get into spouse bashing and you tell everybody around you because you're trying to get them on your side and we're taking sides and you don't know what kind of wife I have and what kind of witch she is and how mean she is and all these kind of things. And the the wife is saying, you don't know how mean my husband is and all this. And so what we do is we do what Joseph could have done. We subject them to public humiliation by talking about them to everybody else. Joseph would not do that. Even, even when he wasn't sure what was going on and what was happening, he still refused to do that because he loved Mary. And the bottom line is how crushed he may have been and how bad he may have felt and how wrong he may have felt betrayed and all these things going on in his mind and emotions. The bottom line is he really genuinely loved Mary. 
He cared about Mary. And the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And what we tend to do is we expose each other and we defend my side and my case and my this. But real love covers over sin. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. Even when, even when Joseph has all these conflicting emotions going on, he still wants to protect Mary. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There's a saying you may have heard it, love is blind. How many have heard that expression, love is blind? Uh, and then you've also may have heard this expression before, love, marriage is an institution. So you put that together and marriage is an institution for the blind. But I think we need to understand that if we really love, we're going to cover those sins. We're going to cover each other. We're going to have each other's backs. We're going we're to protect each other to the very, very best of our ability. Now, this scripture, when you read it, and I, and I read it to you, you're listening, you're standing, but I want you to focus in on a couple of words in verse number 19. And this is kind of what makes it a little bit hard for us to understand in our uh, 21st century. It's, it calls verse 19, Joseph, her husband, and then it uses the word divorce. And so when you see those two words, husband, divorce, we immediately get confused. But let me explain to you about the Jewish marriage and how that worked, and then you will more understand the Christmas story. The Jewish marriage took place in three steps, okay? Follow with me here. The first step was their engagement. And the engagement was that contractual arrangement between family members. And so the father of the, of the bride and groom and, and the father of the bride and the father of the groom, they'd come together. They would make this marriage covenant agreement. They'd often seal it by drinking a cup of wine. Uh, there would be a betrothal. There would be a dowry that would be paid. All these things would happen. That would signify the engagement. That was the arranged contract between a man and a woman so they would one day marry each other after you've done all the vetting process this is the one we love this is gonna, our, these families will be great together this man and wife will be super what a beautiful couple they'll make and then the second phase is the betrothal the betrothal is that public rat ratification of the engagement but it lasts for a period of one year so for one year, you were betrothed. The man was betrothed to the wife. The wife, the, the wife betrothed to the, to the man. And, and, but it was a year that they did not live together. It is a year they got to know each other. It is a year, but they never, ever consummated the marriage during the betrothal time. And so it would be like our engagement, but very, very serious. In fact, the only way to break a betrothal, once you got to that stage or that point, it would be considered divorce. So if you broke the betrothal period, you were actually divorcing that person. In fact, it was said, they had this terminology, if a fiancé died during the betrothal period, they would say, a virgin who is a widow. So how can a virgin be a widow? That person had to have died during the betrothal period. And so they use that kind of language, uh, husband, a divorce, even though the marriage had not been consummated. The third thing is the marriage proper at the end of the year. Then there would be the coming together, there would be the wedding celebration, the seven-day feast celebration, and of course you've got a lot of imagery in the New Testament about the parables of lighting the lamps and the, and the groom going to get the bride and bringing them back to the house he prepared for her. Jesus Christ says in, in, in the book of John, I think it's chapter 14, he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself. All that's wedding language. 
All that's uh, Jesus Christ coming back for his bride. It's all love language. And so, so all that imagery is found out throughout Scripture. But you've got to understand how this Jewish wedding came together. And so Joseph and Mary are at stage two. They are waiting for the final consummation, but they are already betrothed to each other. The Bible says Joseph is a righteous man or a just man who loved and cared for Mary. Now, here's, here's the deal, and I want you to get this. God would not leave his chosen virgin mother without protection. It was always God's plan to have a stepfather who would help raise Jesus Christ. God's the father. She is conceived of by the Holy Spirit. But God will not leave Mary unprotected. And so he's got to come and make this very clear to Joseph. And then you move to the next kind of thought of this passage, and it's God's miracle. And look at verse number 20, and let me read that again. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is, of, is from the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't it great when you have a messenger from God or the voice from God that says, this is of God? You get that definite confirmation. And so this angel says, this is all of God. It's, it's all right. It's good. And so supernaturally, he appears to Joseph. Now, uh, notice the language here. He says, Joseph, son of David. Right away, he's reminding Joseph of who he is. He is the son of David. He is of royal lineage. He is of a royal generation. And he's also, when he uses the phrase son of David, right away your mind goes to the courage of David who went out on a battlefield one day and slew a giant some nine and a half, ten feet tall. And so what he's saying is, son of David, you can do this. You can do this. You are of royal heritage, royal birth, royal lineage, you can do this. You can take Mary to be your wife, and you can make it work. I want to tell you, you guys, everybody in here, if you are of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are of royal lineage, and you can do this. You got this. And that's basically what he is saying in a nutshell. You, you got this, to use an expression today. And then he says, fear not. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. You're the son of David, and I'll be with you every step of the way. Don't be afraid to take her under your protective care and become the foster Father for Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, he says, this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit came upon her, and this is how the conception took place. And, and when you begin to piece it together, it all comes to start to make sense. Because who is it that broods over the face of the earth in the beginning of creation? And, and God makes the heavens and the earth, but the Holy Spirit and the breath of God. And there's this brooding scene all the way back in Genesis. Who is it that breathes life into that first man and that first woman, Adam and Eve? And he makes them into living beings. And he breathes the breath of God in them. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and so who can come in and breathe life into Mary and plant his seed, the son of the most high God? That miracle will forever be known as the incarnation. But look on, finish in verse 21. It says there, and she will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus in the Old Testament was the name Yeshua in the Hebrew. 
And Yeshua had the same idea of Savior, God saves. Yeshua, God saves, the God who saves. In the Old Testament, we're reminded of a leader by the name of Joshua. Joshua would be the one who would lead the children of Israel into the promised land, and they would begin to possess the land. And, he, and so he's the one who would take all that land and be the one. And so he would lead them into the place of freedom and liberty. Jesus Christ does the same thing in us spiritually. Yahshua, today, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he is the one who delivers us from the bondage of sin, the bondage of death, the bondage of guilt, the bondage of punishment. Why? Because he is our Savior, and he will save us from our sins. Jesus' salvation is so absolutely complete. And you're going to hear the name a lot when we talk about Jesus, we say it a lot, we use it in our vernacular, we talk about it as children of God, as Christians, we, we talk about Jesus all the time, but the name means Savior. He is going to save us, and his salvation is so absolutely, completely complete. I want to show you three different aspects of this. First of all, listen to me. He saves us from the guilt of sin. Every sin of the past is gone. So if I am in the Lord Jesus Christ, I stand before him in his righteousness, and I have no more sin in me. Listen, there is no greater pressure and weight upon us than the guilt of sin. It's if you're the words. If you were in a courtroom today and and a jury or a judge renders a verdict guilty, the weight of that sentence comes down on our heads like a rock. I want to tell you, it's that. It's without Jesus Christ, we live under that guilt of sin every single day of our life, and our sins cause us to cry out, "Guilty, guilty, guilty!" And so He saves us from the guilt of our past sins. They are all gone. And and, and what you know what the devil will try to do. Even though I am a child of God and I am in Christ Jesus and there's therefore no condemnation anymore and all my sins have been taken away, the enemy is called the accuser of the brethren. So he comes along and Satan still tries to whisper in our ears, guilty, you're guilty, you've blown it, you're no good, you've messed up too many times, God surely can't love you. And he haunts us and torments us with all of our past failures. But Jesus saves us from the guilt of sin. He saves us from our past. There's therefore no condemnation anymore. But not only does he save us from our past of sin, and he, he, he describes how sin's taken away as far as the east is from the west. He's buried to see uh, our sins never to be grudged up again, and you have this colorful language. Uh, as great as that is, he also delivers me from the ongoing power of sin every day. That's great news. The power of sin has been broken. Sin is a terrible master, and it enslaves men to their passions. And the Bible says in John 8, 34, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. So what happens is, without Jesus Christ, you are on this endless treadmill of sin that keeps going around and around and around, and life is futile and meaningless because you are in that lifestyle of sin. It's ongoing in your life every day. But in Christ Jesus, I am delivered from the power of sin right now. I don't have to get on that treadmill of futility again. I don't have to sin at every whim or temptation that the enemy sends my way. I don't have to give in to every lust of my flesh that ensnares me. Jesus came to set me free from sin, not only my past sins, but every sin right now. 
John 8, 34, 6, John 8, 36, let's do it. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So he cancels the power of guilt in the past, but he gives me victory in my present right now. And I can live and I can walk out of that victory. Yes, I'm going to stumble and fall. Yes, I'm going to blow it. Yes, I'm going to mess up. But I am no longer bound by the enemy. I'm no longer a slave to that sin. And when I do mess up, I can say, God, I blew it. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And we keep rolling. It's powerful. But the third thing is he delivers me from the penalty of sin. Listen to this. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That means eternal separation from God. The Bible describes a second death. He describes hell and what that will be like. But he goes on to say in that same verse, but the gift of God is everlasting life. Jesus Christ delivers us. He is our Savior. He will deliver us from our sins and the future consequences of sin by taking the consequences of sin upon himself. How could Jesus do this? How could he take my sins away from the past? How could he deliver me from sin right now? How could he deliver me from future consequences of sin? The only way he could do that was to bear every sin upon himself when he hung on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that I might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's amazing. He took my place, he carried my sins, and because he took all the wrath of God when he hung on the cross, I don't have to experience that wrath in the future. Isn't that awesome? He will save his people from their sins, past, present, and future. There is no way I want to tell you today you can save yourself. I don't care how good you try to be, how wonderful you are, how nice you are, what a great neighbor you are, all those kind of wonderful things. You cannot work your way into heaven by being good. Only Jesus can save you from your sins. You can't save yourself no more than you can save a drowning man who's trying to save himself. Let me explain that to you. I, I was uh, at Central Bible College, and we had to take PE courses and so I took, uh, I signed up for life-saving because you could be a lifeguard and take your PE credit all at the same time, and I kind of like to swim. And so uh, what, they, what they did is they would go out and they'd say, towards the end of the class, you'd have to go in after they taught you all the skills, go in and save somebody. Well, I, I probably at that time, I know you won't believe this, I weighed about 135 pounds, and uh, they put a guy in there that had to weigh at least 250 pounds. And they said, okay, now go save him. And so, and, but they were supposed to really act it up. And they're supposed to flail and move their arms and all that kind of stuff. And what happens is if you go head on and try to save a guy who's drowning, what, the first thing they do is they wrap their arms around you. They pin your arms to your side. And you will both drown in the water. There have been many, many hundreds of people drowned because they're saving somebody else who's drowning because they will take you under, and they will not let go because they are panicked. And so in, in life-saving, you've got to dive underneath the guy and come up from behind him, put your arm around him, and you're telling him the whole time to relax, relax, hold still, I got this, and then you do the side stroke, and you get him to the side of the pool, or you get him back on shore wherever you're at. And so that's how you save a drowning man. But if you hit him head on, he will take you under, and you will die. 
I, long story short, I almost drowned. <laughs> I had this guy on me, and I'm underwater, and I'd only had about 20 feet to go, and it's a good thing because I surely would have drowned right there in my life-saving class, and they would have had to jump in after me. But uh, we made it, and I got through and got my little Red Cross certificate. So anyway, I can save your life today, maybe. I don't know. But you can't save a man who's trying to save himself. And if you're trying to save yourself, you will go under and you'll drown and you'll die and that'll be the end of the story. Salvation is a free gift. He said the wages of sin is death. That's what you earn. But God has a gift for you and his gift is everlasting life. And you can't earn a gift. You can't work for it. There'll be gifts all around the tree that no one probably earned one of those gifts. It's just simply you've got to receive it. And Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. And if you'll just receive what he did for you, you'll be saved. You'll have everlasting life. It's a free gift. The Bible goes on to tell us Joseph was obedient to that heavenly vision and he did as the angel of the lord had bidden him so immediately when the angel speaks to him he obeyed and he received that word from the lord as coming from god and without delay without reservation he obeys god he protects mary he covers her up he takes her as his wife obedience meant a risk Obedience to God meant inconvenience. It meant separation from his loved ones. But Joseph was obedient and he took Mary as his wife and was happy to join in raising his brand new son. Joseph's story is a great story. Joel Simmons tells the story of a grade school class. And they're, they're putting on a Christmas play. It's the Christmas pageant, and the whole church is going to come out, and it's going to be awesome. And the little boy, there's a boy that wanted the part of Joseph. And uh, he wanted that part, and the parts are handled out, handed out when they're assigning him. And the, the teacher, the, the leader of that play, gave the part to his chief rival in the classroom. And he gets to be Joseph. And this guy is really upset. Joel's upset, and he says, man, I I didn't get the part. And so he's plotting his revenge. How can I get even? Because I should have been Joseph, and it was really somebody else. How can I get even? And the night of performance, he had it all conceived in his mind. So Joseph and Mary come walking all the way across the stage, and they come to this little cardboard manger inn, the inn that had been set up. And they come to the inn, and they get there, and Joseph says, "Uh, we'd like a room for the night. And the innkeeper throws open the doors and he says, come on in, I'll give you the best room in the manger, in the house, excuse me. And poor Joseph didn't know what to do. He's looking around, he doesn't know exactly what to do. And after a long period of silence, he's thinking in his brain, he looks in, he looks to the left, and looks to the right, and then, then he makes this statement, no wife of mine is going to stay in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, let's go get to the barn. And once again, the play resumes right on cue. Joseph, an incredible love story. I want to fast forward to the manger scene. Mary's given birth. The air is filled with the stench of flies and smells and all that kind of thing. Joseph is right by Mary's side. He's wiping her brow all these swaddling cloths he'd taken in there and he's wiping the brow of Mary as she's screaming in pain as she's about to deliver and the pains are getting closer and closer together and he's doing the best he can. He had no birthing classes like we have today. 
It's dirty, filthy, and smelly. And a little baby's born. And Joseph cuts that umbilical cord. And the little baby screams. And then he gently takes those swaddling clothes and he wraps up Jesus. And both Joseph and Mary are exhausted. They have been in labor for hours upon hours. And in his arm, he holds a little baby. They've already decided on his name. His name is Jesus. He also has the realization this is Emmanuel, God with us. He speaks tender words of love and he does the coochie coos and he tries to make the baby laugh. He's standing right by Mary's side, holding her hand and there the whole time. And he covers her with tenderness and love. Love always perseveres. Love always trusts. Love always thinks the best. It is absolutely one incredible love story. And don't overlook that in the whole Christmas scene and all that's going on around you. But the greatest love of all is absolutely this, that divine love brought Jesus Christ to earth. And he came to earth to save us from our sins. That one day, one day, he would take us home to be with him. That love that Jesus Christ shows would take him all the way to the cross. And he would die and take our place. And he would give his life for us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me today. Incredible, incredible love story. Bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for everybody here today. I thank you that you love them so much that you gave your life for them. You died on the cross for them, that we might have life. I thank you that you're you are our Savior, that the past sins can be taken away, everything we've ever done gone, forgotten, no matter how bad we may have been. I thank you, God, you break the power of the present sin in our life, and we can live overcoming lives, in, and I thank you, God, that we have a future hope of heaven and everlasting life. I thank you for each person here. Draw my pray by your special grace today. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.